Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. If you'd like to open your Bibles with me, let's look at Joel 2 tonight. We're looking at Joel 2, verses 12 through 18. It's a very famous call to repentance in the Old Testament. Please rise as you, we read God's Word tonight. Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room, the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. God wants us to rend our hearts, not our garments. I love that. Please have a seat. I once had a friend named Tracy, name changed to protect the, uh, the innocent here, uh, but I will say this, she was whip smart. She was a very smart person, but we always know that the smartest of all people in the world have a dumb streak to them. There's always parts of our lives we're just not smart in. And for her, it was cars. Very smart in a lot of areas, not so much in a car. And when she, was, she told me this story, true story, one day when she was driving to work, she was driving along on a pretty isolated stretch of road, and she suddenly blew a tire. And she could hear it, and she pulled the car over. It's the first time she ever had a flat tire. And Tracy got out. She looked around. She's like, yep, that's a flat tire, all right. And she thought about what to do. She had no idea. And she thought for a minute she had a phone. She could call her brother. Brother was 10 minutes away. And he would come and give her advice and help her out. But she got a little embarrassed about that. Didn't want to admit she couldn't handle, you know, things on her own. That stubborn streak that's in us. So Tracy came up with plan B. You know where I'm going with this. She got back in the car. She looked at her map. She said, well, I'm 10 miles away from the nearest Walmart service center. I can make it. I can make it. So she starts up the car, she gets it going, and you know how the flat, and she's going. She's like, 10 miles I can get to Walmart. 
But man, as she's going along that flat, it starts sounding louder and louder. It's getting worse. Two miles into it, she stops the car again. She gets out. That thing is flatter than a skunk under a steamroller. It is flat. She thinks. She contemplates. She gets back in the car. Turns it back on. At this point, she says, chunks of rubber start coming off the tire. Right? She's only driving like 25, 30 miles an hour. But chunks of tires start coming off. And she said she started looking into the rearview mirror, and she saw sparks coming out of the back of her car, because now she's riding on the rims. As she's telling me this, I had like a wince on my face. I kept getting deeper and deeper. She said there was just the smell of burning rubber filling the car and the hot metal. And she knew at some point that she really did need to stop. And so six miles to go, she pulled the car over. And she got out for a third time. And she looked down at the ruined rear axle of her car. And she decided that maybe at this point she needed to call her brother. So she called her brother. Brother, come out, help me. So he came out, he drove. He got out in mute horror looking at what, what remained of her car. And he, he said, don't you have a spare tire? And she said, spare what? <laughs> so I swear, it's a true story. See, for the second that flat started, Tracy's car was in need of urgent care. She, needed, she couldn't just wait. She couldn't drive it out. She couldn't hope that it would magically fix itself somewhere down the road. She needed help right then and there. And the irony, of course, was that due to her ignorance and mistaken confidence, she didn't know that she had a spare in the back of her car, and she didn't reach out for the help that was available. She had something that urgently needed attention, and rather she let her stubbornness drive her car literally into a ruin. Today is Ash Wednesday. For many Christians, it starts this countdown we have toward Easter. It's kind of like Advent. The Advent season, we're counting down toward Christmas. Lenten season, we're counting down toward Easter. But there's a bit of a tonal difference. In Advent, it tends to be a lot cheerier, a lot more exciting. The birth of our Christ, the birth of the Messiah is coming. Rather, in the Lenten season, it tends to be more somber and reflective. It actually gets darker and darker as we approach Good Friday, as we approach the death of our Lord. And only on Easter Sunday does the light come back up. But I don't know if you've ever looked at this, never noticed this, but in the last month, chronologically, before Jesus died on the cross, he went on a whirlwind tour of ministry. He was more active in that last month than almost any month in his entire ministry. He knew the end was coming. He knew it was coming, and so he said, I have one month to live, one month to pack in as much ministry as I possibly can. I need to get out there. I mean, if somebody told you you have one month to live, what would you do? Probably wouldn't be here right now. You'd be on the, the beaches of some island, I don't know where, but what would you do with that one month? For Christ, it was to get the gospel message out. And so he went on this whirlwind tour. He talked to everybody possibly could. He sent his disciples out on a short-term mission trip. He said, get out there, learn what it is to be a missionary, and then come back to me, and we'll debrief. He stopped in dozens of villages to preach. He went into Jerusalem. Of course, we know the coming in on the donkey and all that, but 
As he's there, he's performing miracles. He's delivering sermon after sermon. He's delivering object lessons. He's causing no end to controversy. I mean, he stirs things up. He is not going quietly. And we see that part of this is he's driven by urgency. He's urgently aware that he has limited time left. And he really wants to reach out to people who are in great need. People who are driving on a flat right then. They're in need of urgent care. And he knows at some point he's going to be turning over the church to some wet-behind-the-ears disciples. And he wants that at the same time as he's trying to reach out to people with the gospel. He's trying to train these people to be the leaders of the church. They needed urgent care too. They needed to get their priorities straight. They needed to not be out for number one. Who's Jesus, who's going to sit next to you on the throne? He says, well, the, the first shall be last. You need to be the servant of all. They need to understand these lessons. And the message he kept repeating during this month was simple. Everybody was in need of urgent care. Everybody needed it. They'd been limping through their lives on sin. And because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of their refusal to reach out to God, they were driving themselves right into ruin. And they didn't see it. They didn't really understand how dangerous the situation was. My office might be like some places in your home. If you go into my office, you'll see my desk. And on my desk are piles. You have a pile table in your house, pile desk. Uh, some, some people might be really good at organization. Uh, I just have a place where I start putting things where I don't know where else to put them. Right? You get, you get a card from somebody, I don't know where to put it. Pile. I get this note, pile, you know, suddenly you start realizing these piles start becoming skyscraper-like. And you go, well, I'm going to, one day this year, I'm just going to go through all the piles, right? I'm going to organize everything. It'll be amazing. I'll see my desk again, and then I'll start the piles anew, and it'll be good. But what I've learned about my piles on my desk is I cannot put anything urgent on those piles, because I will never see them again. Archaeologists, 200 years from now, might unearth my urgent memo, but I will, never, I will never see them. I will never act on them. So if something's urgent, I need to have it right in front of me. I will put it on my desk right in front of me until I deal with it. And that's important to do. The urgent memo needs to get addressed. Because I've learned, like we all have, if something's really urgent, it doesn't get better on its own. If you got... A toothache, you can't go, well, I'm going to sleep on it. Maybe it'll be better tomorrow. And it gets a little worse tomorrow. Well, I'll give it another week. Before, you, before long, you've got a root canal going on. It's not, not fun for anybody, right? You don't ignore your credit card statement when it comes in the mail, and you got that scary number on there, and you go, well, if I just put it over here on that pile on the desk and walk away from it, I don't have to look at it. I don't have to acknowledge it. It'll just go away on its own until it doesn't, and suddenly your house is foreclosed or your credit score is shot because you didn't address this urgent need and you didn't get the care you needed. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. And he didn't say that to scare you. He didn't say that because he was trying to crash down on you. He said that out of love. If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy your life like Tracy destroyed her car. You're going to run it into the ground. It's going to be a ruin, and you're going to have to live with that forever. So unless you repent, you will perish. 
But if you repent, you won't. You see, there's always the flip side. This isn't Jesus just saying, well, you're all, you're all out of luck. You're up creek without a paddle. See you later. If you repent, if you address this urgent memo, if you get on top of this now in your life, reach out for help that is available. Reach out to somebody who can fix your life. Then you will be saved. And you will have that dealt with. And I kept thinking of when I was looking at this final month here in Jesus' life, that he kept looking out at the sea of faces. And our Lord knew which ones were called, which ones he would see in heaven, and which ones were lost forever. But he preached to all of them. He sent, gave them all the same message of the gospel. And he wanted them to know the hope of salvation. He knew that they didn't have hundreds and hundreds of years to decide on this. I've had some people tell me, well... Church is okay, but, you know, I'll figure, like, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll get right with God. I've seen some people on their deathbed. Nobody ever changes their mind at the last minute. It almost never, never happens. I'm not saying it doesn't ever. I've never seen it happen. You don't leave something that important off until the last minute of your life, because who knows how fast that last minute will come. And I want to just think about this. Every single person that Jesus preached to during that last month has since died. They're in one of two places right now. They either got the urgent care that they needed, and they are in a place where they are cared for for eternity, or they truly did perish. And that's something to think about when we look at our decision. Time is running out in our lives. And for those of us who do know Christ, and we go, well, okay, we're okay. I also want us to focus on that God continually calls us to repent. You may be forgiven, but repentance is more than saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning around back to God. And that's one thing that Ash Wednesday calls us to do, is to repent. That sin creeps in your life. We all know how this goes. It gets into our life. We get very comfortable with it. We say, well, I'm doing pretty well the other 90% of the time, so God will forgive this 10%. I'm forgiven already anyways. But what the problem with sin is, it infects your life, it corrupts your life, it drags you down, takes you away from Christ, does things that uh, offends and is abhorrent to our God who saved us, and destroys and hurts you. So why do we want that in our life? We can say, I'm sorry, all the live long day. My kids say sorry to me all the time. <laughs> the other day, I went in uh, my keyboard on my desk at home. I come home sometimes, they leave me little gifts. The other day, it was the gift of spilled juice all over my keyboard. And I looked at that, and the juice had since congealed, so I tried pressing the keys and nothing, right? And so I, had, I did the interrogation called all the lineup. I call it the lineup, all four kids, right? The lineup. All right, sticky juice. Didn't happen by themselves. The ghost in the house didn't do that. Which one of you did it? I found out the guilty culprit. And I won't, I won't out them, but they said, I'm sorry. I said, okay, I forgive you. But realize... They, I'm sorry doesn't change your behavior. Repenting and turning and making better decisions changes your behavior. I said, so are we going to have that cup in here again? No, no, we're not. Repenting means turning back to God, wanting his way instead of my way. And I'm standing up here just as much of a sinner as anyone else, going, I see my sin. I am in dismay sometimes, feeling like I can't even come up here on Sunday morning. Because I'm like, I did that sin again. That sin that I've told God a million times, I'll never do again. Because that's how powerful sin has a hold on our life. And how much we are in urgent care. 
not just to be saved, but to repent, to turn back to God. Because he is the only one who can fix me. He's the only one who can fix you. And little by little, the good news is he does. He regenerates us. He sanctifies us. He purifies us. He takes us and little by little gets that sin right out of our life. And you may well go, well, I'm still sinning, yes. But look back. Look back at how you used to be and see that there's been a progression, that God has taken you away in his wonderful graciousness, away from the sin that was hurting you so much. Repent and turn back to me. From now until Easter, this is what I like to call our cross watch period, where we are watching for the cross. We're standing vigil. We are waiting for this time. Some people like to forgo something for Lent. You can do that. You cannot do that. That's up to you. But have this period of time where we stand guard at the foot of the cross, and every day have a time where you remind yourself who died for you and what did he die to do for you. What did he die? What sins in your life did he forgive? And do you want to add more sins on top of that? Or do you want to repent and turn to him and say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me, for I am a sinful man, for I am a sinful woman. Forgive me and help me become more like you. Help me become more like Christ, who never sinned absolutely once in his life. I want to be more like that. Let's pray to do that today. We're going to go to Christ right now to spend some time in more quiet prayer. It's time for you to talk to God. Time for you to have some quiet and some peace with your Lord. You can confess sins. You can just talk to him one-on-one. Have that time, but I also want you to consider the cross. What are we waiting for? What are we looking forward to in anticipation come Easter morning when he rises again? What are we looking forward to on Good Friday when he dies for us, while we were still sinners. He got up on that cross, and he died. Let's go to our Lord in prayer today. Be gentle with us, Lord, but discipline us. Bring us back to you when we stray. Lovingly restore us to your side. Grow our conscience. That we be more sensitive to the sins in our life. Lord, help deepen our love of you through understanding more and more the depth of your sacrifice and the greatness of your love. Lord, be with us 
I ask for a special prayer for Sarah Stupke tonight as they're inducing her a little early, and I just pray that you would please deliver the baby safely, that the family would be just have this weekend to rejoice in the birth of a, a new child. Lord, be with us as we continue our watch toward Easter. Lord, we love you. I know it's small, but you know it's sincere when our hearts leap up and sing, and sing and rejoice that we call Jesus Christ our Lord, you and no other. In your name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, Email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.